It is Locked on Jazz for the 29th of September. They are getting after it in Salt Lake City. Nikhil Alexander-Walker stands out. Mike Conley gives us some really interesting insight about the style of play. And let's get to know Malik Beasley. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps, including Available on YouTube and your YouTube question of the day in the chat room. What player do you think we will think of most differently in a positive sense at the end of the season compared to what we think about them now? There's some names that got dropped out in press conferences yesterday that might be those lead candidates. So let's get right to it. Plus, we'll hear from Mike Conley, who gave us some real insight yesterday at the presser on what style of play Will Hardy is implementing and what this Jazz team is going to look like. I'll tell you one thing that's clear. Uh, Having been to Media Day, been around the guys, we talked about him yesterday, but Colin Sexton has an infectious personality. He's got that smile, he's got that youthfulness, that zest. And I think you're going to see fans really gravitate towards Sexton. Uh, As someone who you're rooting for, you believe in, uh, he's dynamic. He you know, scored 22 a game uh, two years ago. He scored 20 in his career so far. Uh, and it was interesting to listen to Will Hardy talk about trying to get him to understand how to involve his teammates. And, you know, we talked about how his assist rate in his years in Cleveland was one of the lowest rated assist rates of anyone in the NBA. And so... You know, he he really did. He had the lowest assist to usage rate of anyone in the league. And he said yesterday, two days ago in a presser, I think he said, hey, that's what Cleveland, or maybe it was yesterday, that's what Cleveland asked for. That's what what Cleveland needed on those teams. And Will Hardy trying to get him to play a little differently. Uh, We talked about it late yesterday. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy. And so playing off Mike Conley may allow him um, to do some things. Mike Conley's a great catch-and-shoot guy too, so it might allow Mike Conley some things. There, so I I think this this is an infectious guy who I think you're going to you're going to really uh, cheer for and root for. Uh, the early indicator, you know, you you don't always know what happened in every aspect of practice, but it was interesting that both Nikhil Alexander Walker got kind of shouted out by Mike Conley. Then uh, Will Hardy gets asked about it. So certainly, you know, now he's directed. It wasn't as though he volunteered it. Um, but he also wasn't asked a question that said, um, hey, you know, who's jumped out to you? It was more of, hey, Mike Conley said that Nikhil Alexander's been really good. What do you think? I thought the answer was was super interesting from Will Hardy about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And he might be your question answer to the YouTube question of the day, which is, you know, what player are we going to think of most differently at the end of the year? 
Uh, please comment on that. Thumbs up. By the way, if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, please subscribe and hit the notification button so that you get notified whenever we launch and drop a program. Ron Boone and I will be doing postcasts immediately after every game on this feed uh, for you. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what other things to do. Uh, there's a lot of movement toward Twitter spaces. I think there's a value to a shoot-around report at some point. Uh, I don't know entirely what feed that's on. Um, I, Ron, I think we'll go to back to on the floor on Instagram before games uh, or maybe on Facebook, depending. Uh, there's some technology things you can do with Facebook. You can't do with Instagram, but there's more audience on Instagram. So uh, I'd love your guys' insight. It's really we're doing it only for you. So any thoughts you have, um, want to hit me on DLock09 on Twitter of, of what content you would want throughout a game day and what content um, and in what format would you want it? Like on, on what platforms uh, would work best for you um, that you get notified and you want to know. So if you're, if you're on YouTube, please hit subscribe and then hit the notification button so you get notified. But also please share with me at DLock09 uh, or you can email me at DLock09 at, at gmail.com. Uh, and let me know what would work best for you. But back to Nikhil Alexander Walker, and, and for, you know we got let, let's back up a little bit. We just we have so many new players that let's let's take a second with each of our players and kind of remind everybody who Nikhil Alexander Walker is. I think there might be some 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 knowledge there. Nikhil Alexander Walker is a player who the Jazz acquired in the Joe Ingles trade. He's just 24 years old. He grew up in Toronto. You might have heard the name, and we'll do a get bigger get-to-know on him later, Shea Gilgis Alexander. So that's his cousin. They all lived very close together in Toronto, grew up together. He's had this kind of interesting career where he was one of the most inefficient offensive players in all of the NBA, and it spiraled on him. Uh, his first year in the league, he shot 37% and 35% from three. The next year, he shot 42 and 35 Then Willie Green takes over, and he goes back to 37 and 31 you know, if he if he can't shoot better than that, it, then it doesn't matter. Like, you know, but this is a guy who is super skilled at Virginia Tech. He's got great length at 6'6", 205. You know, when you start talking about there's been discussion of who makes the team and who doesn't, like that 6'6", 205 on him is, is certainly important. Um, I also, you know, from the way things talked about yesterday, he's obviously making a pretty good impression. Um Will Hardy said he was a very, very, he said two varies, worth noting, skilled, diverse offensive player, a very good player. He's playing with confidence. And then the comment that jumped out at me from Will Hardy was that he said he's uh, his presence settles everyone down. So that's a really, you know, that's a huge compliment. And that's a part of Alexander Walker that I'm not sure people had. And, I, and he, I don't think, has really discovered yet where and how he's going to be successful in the NBA. That would be kind of my my take on this. Um, so he, he usually you make that jump year two to year three. His year two to year three got kind of dislodged because uh, it comes off the backside of COVID, which gets cut short because New Orleans didn't make the bubble. And then he's got Willie Green as the head coach. And he he doesn't, he's in conversation I had with him the other day, he doesn't perform well for Willie Green, and frankly, he kind of openly admitted he just spiraled. Like, it just started, he wasn't as efficient, he just got worse and worse. He started 11 games in November, he was averaging 14 points and 4 rebounds and 3 assists, but he was shooting 37% and 32%, and then he just, like, then it started to slip away. Um, and he, he got in his own way. And and talking to Alvin Gentry, 
um, who had him for a little while and talking to some other people, that was the word when I made some phone calls about him. That was the word on Nikhil was that he he can kind of get in his own way, um, and that you know he he's uh, he struggles when things go wrong. I think was maybe is the best way um, to say it. So really great to hear that he is maybe the standout or the early going uh, of the camp so far, or at least that those are the guys that have were meant. That was the guy that was mentioned um, yesterday. You know, really important position for the Jazz too that. You know, this is the guard that probably plays, you know, he and Clarkson have some real similarities to it, to their games and what they do. And so you could have some interesting things here where Sexton and Conley and then, you know, you, you figure out that, hey, well, Clarkson plays better with Conley and Alexander Walker plays better with Sexton. And you start to kind of play with that four guard combination. If if Alexander Walker really does step forward and, and remember, this is this is a highly skilled, highly talented player who was drafted um in, in the draft, I believe he was the 17th pick of the 19 draft. I always like to look at a draft and say, like, well, are the guys below him that are contributing? If I if someone's the 17th pick of the draft and then no one below him's contributing, then I think to myself, like, well, that draft kind of it hit his bottom. But that's not the case here. Thibault was the 20th. He's contributing. Clark was the 21st. Grant Williams was 22nd. Baisley's played a lot. I'm not sure on him yet still. Um, in Oklahoma City is the 23rd pick. Um, Nazar Little has been good in Portland's the 25th pick. Jordan Poole's the 28th pick. Kelton Porter or Kelton Johnson is the um, 29th pick. Kevin Porter was the 30th. So lots of players below him. Cody Martin and uh, Charlotte 36th pick have have had an impact in the league, which leads me to believe if he went in that spot, the league doesn't miss that much. Um, that this is this is a guy with with elite level skills. So that's an exciting. A uh, little piece that came out of yesterday. The other one that was interesting, we'll hear more from Mike Conley, was really insightful kind of on the way the Jazz are playing and what they're doing, was a lot of rebound and go. Uh, Kelly Olenek can rebound and go. Marketing can rebound and go. Vanderbilt can rebound and go. Will said, hey, basically everybody but um, Walker Kessler can probably rebound and go uh, at this point. The other one that jumped out was that Mike Conley, again, kind of praised Walker Kessler for being leaps and bounds, quote, ahead of young guys at this stage. And, you know, if you're going to win in the NBA, you have to keep people off the rim. That that The, the number one analytical thing that's out there, you got to make shots, but you've got to keep people off the rim. And if and so, if, you know, we look at Olenek and, and the value he has. Uh, Mike Conley talked about Olenek as kind of having a Mark Gasol aspect of things for him and playing in a very similar fashion that he was used to with some of those handoffs that he didn't have with Rudy and some pop uh, that he didn't have with Rudy and playing five out in space. But on the other end, you know, you've got to keep people off the rim. And if Walker Kessler can find a way to play, you know, and keep people off the rim, be very, very valuable. The other one that gets interesting on that, I'll be curious to talk to the coaches about that, is whether or not Walker Kessler actually has to play early. Feels to me that drop big is more important earlier in games than it is than when you get into rotation teams get smaller. I'm maybe just making that up in my head. Um, but that's a thought I would have. That the, 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 It feels to me that the games drop big early, then you get into a switching combination. Mike talked a little bit about that, that they're doing a lot more switching um, than maybe they were uh, before. So super interesting uh, on multiple levels yesterday with what's coming out of camp. And the biggest story, I just think, is how hard they're going, how much they're playing, how hard they're getting after it, how much time they're spending competing. Uh, Wilt says that they have not gone full bore yet. Um, 
that they haven't gone, you know, full game, but they are playing quarters at a time uh, without with their scrimmaging and uh, seem to be after. So fun. We'll get to see it Sunday in Edmonton uh, for the Jazz first preseason game. That game will be on AT&T Sportsnet with uh, the crew, as well as on uh, 97.5 FM, Ron Boone and I on the call on that. Uh, this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. It's your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Intercap Lending. Steve Carter is simply the best with all he does uh, there. You know, it's fun when you get to meet really great people at their jobs. I mean, there's nothing that inspires me more. Uh, I was talking to Trey the other day, our, our video content guy. He just got himself a new house, just totally fired me up. Gabby's our, is our young... Um, team photographer and she's kind of knocking off all of her goals in the first uh you know four or five years of her career just just awesome uh just totally inspiring i guess i've gotten old enough that the young the youngsters are now uh inspiring me all the time one of the steve carter frankly uh over at intercap is one of those people for me he's just so uh genuine and good at what he does and gives you just such a great vibe it's it's my pleasure to send you over to our personal loan officer steve carter over at intercap lending uh, his number is 385-885-28. Intercap just does a wonderful job. They service their own loans. They have long-term relationships. Um, they're hypersensitive. They embrace change, and the borrower experience is elite. It's a funky little time right now, and the world is not lining up as good as it was financially in some ways. If you're getting a loan right now than it was you know, a short while ago, let's not kid ourselves about it. So you need the best loan officer you possibly can get, and why is Intercap grown so dramatically? Because they get deals done. And that's what Steve Carter will do for you. He's our own personal loan officer. You're welcome to call him directly at 385-885-28. Or you can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. It's Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. If you are going to call Steve directly, make sure you mention Locked On Jazz. You get the Locked On Jazz corporate discount. Or I can just set that up for you along the way. Uh, It's all over at Intercap with Steve Carter. Today's show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online giving you all the odds, news, and scores that you need as a sports fan. What's the latest out there? Thursday night football coming your direction tonight. This line is crazy. It has bounced everywhere. Cincinnati is a three and a half point favorite over Miami on our locked on power poll. This week, Miami was up near the top, and now they're a three-point dog. Uh, Minnesota is a two-and-a-half-point favorite in London against the Saints. Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints is actually in London uh, right now covering that team. The Detroit Lions are a four-point favorite over the Hawks this week. Cowboys and Commanders. Doesn't have quite the ring to it, but a better ring to it than the old line. Uh, Cowboys are a three-point favorite in that one. Your line of the week is Green Bay is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over New England now that Mac Jones is out if you're looking for your survivor pool. And our basketball team wins bets are all out there. All 30 teams are up on the team wins. The Jazz over under right now. What an interesting, it's 24.5. The team that is practicing right now at the Zions Bank Center, I'm telling you what, that team that practicing right now is going to win more than 24.5 games. There's no question on that. That is Bet Online for all your news updates and more. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Open scrimmage October 8th at Vivint Arena at 11 a.m. So hopefully I'll see you out there. I'll try to make that uh, myself. 
Obviously, great to, to see the guys on October 8th at Vivint Arena. 11 a.m. open scrimmage. So that should be a that should be a fun one for everyone to get to take partake in. If you have not been to that before, it's just a great chance to get access uh, to the players. All right, let's listen to Mike Conley yesterday because Mike uh, really did a nice job of, and gave us some great insight into the style of play with Will Hardy and where the Jazz are heading. Uh, once again, like, I think it's a lot of it is like just personnel, you know, like adding Kelly and, you know, Laurie and um, the bigs, like getting rebounds and bringing it up. And they're essentially playing point forward sometimes in a lot of the actions that we play and kind of a five out spacing uh, with our bigs being more spaced at the wings and allowing guards to kind of have the initial driving lanes to, to get to the rim and, you know, create, um, you know, man down situations and, um, it's, it's a lot of movement, a lot of passing, just trying to create as much space as we can for our guys because um, we feel like we do have a lot of playmakers, a lot of guys who can get into to positions and make scoring opportunities for themselves and other guys. So that was the offensive take. Pretty interesting there from Mike. So a lot of five-out opportunities, uh, driving the basket, playing, you know, if Markkinen's playing a five a little bit, it almost sounded like there. Alina can play the five. And that's, you know, very different, right? We've had the vertical role of Rudy Gobert, and the guards have had to kind of navigate that. You can suddenly see Sexton with his break, his ability to break guys down, getting into the paint. Mike uh, having more room to do that as well. Uh, so that is different. And then the rebound and go. Will's been insistent on that this team wants to run. Quinn talked about it a lot, but they ne- they didn't practice it a great deal. It really wasn't a part of that group's kind of personality and who they were. So I think it's it will be interesting to see if this group runs more if it's if it's more Quinn's you know essence really was those well executed half court sets ball movement spacing read and react know how to play in the half court more than it was than just getting out hitting your spacing in the early offense so uh, we could see a real difference there and then if it's a rebound and go from the guards um, you know and frankly to Quinn's point Donovan didn't want to run a great deal because Donovan would prefer to play in the half court. So there was a little bit of two sides to that equation here. All right, let's continue here with Mike Conley. Defensively last year, obviously, you guys were top big team. Now with Kelly and, and whatnot, do you be more versatile? Do you run more switches of screens? I mean, kind of what's the In the first couple of days, we've done a lot of uh, switching early. We've done drop too. So both of them, I mean, we're going to probably have to do both uh, depending on who's in the game or who we're guarding. But um, we, we're getting real familiar with uh, the switching atmosphere and um, what we do off the ball and trying to bump smaller guys out to, um, you know, get bigger guys down low to, to match size. So, do, Are the screen actions the same for you with you guys playing five out compared to, you know, you've been playing with Rudy for so mm-hmm. long? And, you know, so has that been a little different for, for you personally? Um. It's different from what I'm accustomed to with Rudy. Uh, very similar to what I'm accustomed to with Mark Gasol. So it, it's not, this isn't new to me, the, the offensive spacing and scheme. So I'm very familiar with, you know, having that that kind of spacing and picking rolls out of it. So it was new for me to have to learn with Rudy and, and creating space um, specifically um, with what he's what he's capable of doing for our team. So, um you know, it's been it's been good to kind of have have both, you know, and um, and figure it out again. So some of this is going to really come down to who. Let's start on the defensive end on who the Jazz are are playing at center. Walker Kessler, if he does in fact get some time as a rookie, 
is not, you're not going to want to play a lot of switching with him. Uh, at a young age, uh, before he learns entirely how to switch, the same thing we saw with Rudy's development. And frankly, Walker Kessler in the NCAA tournament game got caught in some switching and got kind of played, you know, that old played off the court thing. It felt like when I've watched that game as though that happened. So when you hear Mike Conley's talking about them integrating their switching, this this is new. The Jazz weren't a heavy switch team. They always had a big on the floor, whether it was Whiteside or Gobert. So very, very different in that regard. And then the key thing Mike talked about there is, you know, the weakness of switching when you have Colin Sexton and Mike Conley is that you got six one guards that get switched onto bigger guys. And then so how do you get in, out of the invert and back into having Mike Conley bouncing out to the ball handler on the on the on the floor rather than having Mike Conley suddenly pinned in the post. And so that's the bumping out that he's talking about is where suddenly, hey, you get a switch, someone rolls Mike Conley down to the basket, somebody else recognizes it, pops out, Conley goes to their guy. And so you're not only doing your switching on the ball, but you're sometimes doing your switching off the ball to get your matchups uh, back correctly. And then offensively, those comments were interesting. I mean, we just talked about the the desire to run, but then also playing five out with a Linux comfortable spot. And I do wonder, you know, one thing, and maybe this is not going to be a Will Hardy signature, and we all have to adapt on, on what we were used to watching the last few years, but one of the signatures of Quinn Snyder was that this team really, that the pairs were, were together. So, you know, one year they tried to protect Boyan a great deal by having him uh, not be guarded by, um, not who's always on the floor with Rudy, uh, to make sure that his lack of defense didn't get exposed. Then last year, Mike Con- last two years, when Mike Conley, after Mike Conley struggled his first year, the biggest change that Mike Conley had was that Mike Conley went and played every single minute with Rudy Gobert, and then all of a sudden his numbers went w- wildly through the roof when he got to play with Rudy. Um, he really figured that out, played it great. So are there going to be combinations here that are signatures to this team is, is what we just don't know yet. Will we see, hey, will Mike Conley and Kelly Olenek really work well together offensively? We're always going to have them on the floor together. But Sexton is more of a driver. We want him out with, with Walker Kessler. Or are we going to see the opposite, that you know Mike Conley's not as much of a driver to the rim, so we're going to let him play with Walk- Walker Kessler in a role, standard rolling big uh, offensively, but we want Sexton out on the floor with Lowry Markinen or with Colin, uh, Kelly Olynyk in a spread floor because he's a dynamic driver. So that'll be something that on this show we'll, we'll be watching. We'll go to our good friends over at Popcorn and watch our rotations really closely and see if we're pairing any players together and, and how they work. I think we talked about earlier in the show about Beasley and Clarkson. Maybe they have little combinations um, or Alexander Walker combines with someone. Uh, you know, Maybe you're playing five out with with Clarkson and Alexander Walker on the floor together at the same time. And you have these great, you know, drivers from, from multiple positions. Alexander Walker at six, six can kind of slide one through three uh, very easily on the offensive side. He's going to have to slide, obviously, if they're going to do a bunch of switching. So really interesting kind of, we're getting more and more pieces. It's fun. It's really fun. We got battle for starting spots. We got battle for training camp positioning, and we've got you know a, a new system. We're gonna get to see it in person on Sunday. Uh, get to see it a little bit in the open scrimmage on the eighth. We'll we'll see it for for game you know on Tuesday against Portland as well. So uh, begin to get to see a lot of this and, and feel it and find out what this Jazz team is going to be. All right, let's get to know Malik Beasley as we continue for your second listen today. There's a ton of content at Locked on NFL, but I also suggest NBA Big Board with Raphael Barlow and the crew. Raphael is in Paris right now watching uh, Weminyamu and everything he's doing, so he'll give you the latest on the Big Victor. 
So who is Malik Beasley? If you go search Malik Beasley, it's all off-court stuff. Like, there's just no, you know, there's no denying it. Malik Beasley's not denying it. Wildly impressive to me in his first interview with us when he literally talked about the time with his therapist and trying to improve himself and who he is. You know, that's the narrative he's pushing. I'm trying to get better. I want to be an all-star on the court and off the court. I want to win the Community Assist Award um, one month this year, uh, and I'm going to do a bunch of things in that regard. Let's go to on the court for a second. So in the 2021 season, uh, he was, which is two years ago, he had his career high of 19.6 points per game. So this is a guy that, you know, can really fill it. Uh, came out of Florida State, was the 19th pick of the 2019 draft, was not, was the 36th best high school player in the country, did not get invited to any of the big events. No McDonald's All-American, no Nike Hoop Summit. He goes to Florida State. And he hits in his first year at Florida State and comes out in the draft as the 19th pick. And I think he would admit, or he has admitted, that it all happened too fast at that point, right? Then there were some off-court decisions that that slipped on him. He had a really, really slow start last year. So last year is his career-low 39% field goal percentage. Um, he stopped shooting twos. He became almost entirely a three-point shooter. He shot 36% on pull-ups. on catch and shoot, both which are pretty good. But when you dig into those numbers, there's some really interesting things that actually are even better than kind of what you're looking at. And he had the, he had a troubled off season. He spent some jail time um, and he did. And then, you know, he honestly said, Hey, I came out of that and I just had to get away. And so he did not start the year last year in great basketball shape. And you can see that if you kind of walk down his month by month last year, he opens October and November in the first 21 games of the season, he shoots in the range of about 37% from the field and 34% from three. So he's way off his game. In December, it begins to heat up. He's at 41 and 37. Then he gets nicked in January and kind of loses his rhythm again at 35% from the field and 33% from three. They, they Finally, it all comes back to him after All-Star break. And this these were important, important games for Minnesota, remember, last year heading to the playoffs. In the post-All-Star break, 20 games, he starts eight of them. He shoots 45% from the field, 45% from three. He hits 17 of his 18 free throws. His usage rate goes way down, but he seems to figure out, as Anthony Edwards explodes, how to work with that team. He's a plus 13 per 100 possessions, and he really found his bearings. Talking to him the other day, you know, he just said, like, hey, that offseason was bad. Like, it's on me, but... It was, it was bad, and I wasn't in the best condition to play. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does with the Jazz because in Minnesota, as his usage rate went down, his game really changed. He stopped shooting twos, he stopped going to the rim, and he became almost an exclusive three-point shooter. Now, that's not a bad thing when you're talking about Malik Beasley because there are not a lot of guys in the NBA that can get eight threes off, which he can do. He's done Since he went to Minnesota, he's gotten eight threes off a game, and he's making 39% for his career. He's been a little higher since in his time in Minnesota. He shot 38.9% his time in Denver, 382 Like So he's a bona fide elite-level three-point shooter. You can't – we can go down the list, and you go kind of do searching and find six guys who take six threes a game, shoot over 39, 39%. Like, that's a, that's a slim group 
that you're going to find. So this is an elite level shooter. It'll just be interesting to see whether or not he evolves. The other one that will be interesting on him is his defensive versatility. His versatility is really good. But if you look at what Minnesota did, they hit him. He spent 45% of his time on tier six defenders, tier six offensive players, according to B-ball index, which is, you know, in other words, we're putting you against the worst offensive players we can find. His LeBron rating was an A minus offensively and an F defensively. Um, So that's going to be a really interesting thing to see. He's an interesting guy. Um, I was talking to Alan Horton about him. And Alan said, you know, the one thing about Bees is he'll come on every plane. He'll walk the plane. He'll dap every single guy in the room before you take off on the plane. And the minute he came into our room the other day for interviews, he dapped every single guy and woman in the room. He walked to everyone from the camera person to the gra- like to the, to the, there are two different camera got people working. He hit both them. He hit our producers, he hit our director. So he's got these, he's, you know, he's got that. Um, his dad was a player. He grew up kind of emulating and wanting to be like his dad. Uh, he's the firstborn of his father, but he has an older stepbrother in his family. Almost all of these guys um, are not firstborns. They're second or third or fourth born, born and competitive. Um, his family, a bunch of actors. His mom was in Hunger Games. His dad was in some some things. So they're, they're a bunch of a house of entertainers uh, is, is who, what he grew up around. And you can kind of feel that like he's got a really good energy to him and he, and he wants to, you know, the, the dapping everyone, like he wants to engage everyone, have everyone involved. He wants to have that little fun stuff around him. And you, you can feel that, um, aspect to him. He, he told me that he, when he grew up, his room filled with baseball trophies cause he played both sports. And then you can decide whether or not you're going to forgive him for this, but on his wall, was the Jordan shot. That was the poster on his wall growing up, was the Jordan shot. All right, is Malik Beasley your answer? Was it Nikhil Alexander-Walker? Do you have somebody else you think we're going to be talking about differently at the end of the season? That was our YouTube question of the day. We'll touch on that. Uh, This is, today's Thursday already, right? Is that right? All right, Friday's at Ask LOJ. We'll do Ask LOJ tomorrow, so get your questions ready. Make sure you hashtag Ask LOJ. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Jazz today and making us your first listen. It's your team every day. For your second listen, NBA Big Board is up there and waiting for you with all the latest on the NBA draft and the next generation of NBA players. Have a great one.